Good morning, church. It is indeed a joy and a privilege for me uh, to bring God's word to you this morning. Uh, I must confess that this past week has been a blessing to me and my family. As we get to hear some of the amazing things God is doing in Africa, uh, my continent, as well as an opportunity to listen to Pastor Ken as he preached God's word to us last week. Uh, but the irony of it all is that I, would, I have to preach just after him, uh, which in many ways did shake my confidence because that was a good sermon. But as I continue to look at God's word and prepare for today, I was immediately reminded, at the same time rebuked, that my confidence is not in myself, neither is it in Ken but that my confidence is in God. Because when we come to Psalm 23, I believe this is exactly what the psalmist wants us to see as we look at the text together. Can I pray for us? Father, you are God, and you are the one who has given us Psalm 23. It is your word. So we are praying that as we hear you speak to us, that your spirit will stir our heart and help us to pay attention to what you have to say and help us to depend on you. Because without you, we are nothing. So we pray that we would see you better and clearer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are familiar with the book of Psalms, you will know that it is a book written with emotions a collection of 150 psalms that fully expresses the complete human emotions. It's written by different people at different times in the history of Israel to worship God, to recognize Him in time of their distress, to celebrate God's divine salvation, and a longing for the Savior who will be victorious over the nations. We see these, psalms, these emotions expressed in form of lament. Uh, we see it expressed in form of praise, thanksgiving, the celebration of God's law to his people. We see wisdom songs. And as we come to Psalm 23, we'll begin to see a psalm of confidence the kind of confidence that deepens our trust in God, regardless of any circumstances we may find ourselves. And David in Psalm 23 expresses his utmost confidence in God. And he is inviting us to see it this morning, which means that when David declared in the beginning of the psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, he is saying the Lord is all that I have. But if you are taking note this morning, uh, here, the, here is our main idea. I will repeat it two times for you to take down. Our good shepherd Jesus will always protect and provide for us until he leads us home. I'll take that one more time. Our good shepherd Jesus will always protect and provide for us until he leads us home. And we will be considering this under three uh, point or sub point. Jesus, the good shepherd, will provide for his people. That's our first point. Jesus, the good shepherd, will protect his people. 
That's our second point. And Jesus, the good shepherd, will lead his people home. Uh, That's our third point. So let's look at the first point. Jesus, the good shepherd, will provide for his people. We would consider this from verse 1 to 4. You see, the idea of shepherding or the idea of a shepherd isn't an alien idea to David. Right? If you know the story of David and to the Israelites in, at large, because the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, sheep rearing is one of the principal occupation of, of the people. And even for David himself. So for him to use the metaphor shepherd, it's something that is very relatable to him. A metaphor that indicates a personal experience. And when you look at the entire scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, you will see that the idea of God being the shepherd of his people is something captured from the beginning to the end. The word shepherd itself, if you would know, appeared more than 111 times in the scriptures. So when you look at first from Genesis chapter 48, verse 15, it says, as Jacob gathered his sons around his deathbed, he declared that God had been his shepherd all of his life to this day. And you look at Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, in chapter 7, verse 17, it says, when the saints who come out of tribulations are brought before God, John tells us that, For the lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd and shall guide them to the springs of the water of life. God shall wipe every tear away from their eyes. So when we look at Psalm 23, David says, Yes, I know God is the shepherd of his people, but he is also my God. That's a personal claim. This is what David is saying, if I'm, if I'm to paraphrase. He's saying, our God who has his eyes on all of us also has his eyes on you. He is a personal God. And because he is personal, we can corporately say he is our God. And you can personally say he is my God. If you would know one of the many unique features of Psalm 23 It's how it's written with personal pronouns. 17 times, David says, mine, I, me. He is mine. He is is my shepherd. He leads me. Which is a further proof that David is happy to claim God to himself. That may sound selfish, I, I, I thought, but yes, it probably is a time for you to begin to ask the question, how is God personal to me? As a shepherd who cares for sheep in the field, David understands that the relationship between a shepherd and a sheep has to be a very unique one because sheep, as we know, are defenseless animals. A writer said, about the only means of defense the sheep has is to run. And knowing that the sheep is slow compared to the predators, they depend on the shepherd for where and how to run. The sheep have to be led to safety. The sheep can practically stay dirty all their lives. So it is the responsibility of the shepherd to clean them up. They have no sense of direction. They can't fend for themselves. So without the shepherd, 
the sheep would be lost and hungry and in danger of being attacked by predators. David relates to this experience himself as a shepherd. Also, as a king, David understands how Israel leaders have failed in living up to the responsibility God has committed into their hands, including himself. I would encourage you to read Ezekiel 34 later on. But when you come to Ezekiel 34, verse 1 to 5, it says, God's word through the prophet to his people is a pronouncement of judgment for the failure of Israel leaders. He said, my people have scattered and the city is in destruction because instead of feeding the sheep he kept under their care, they've been busy feeding themselves. But when we come to the later part of Ezekiel 34, verse 22 to 23, God says, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. But what is interesting to, to note here is that to think that in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34's prophecy actually happened 400 years after the death of David and more than 1,000 years before Jesus was born. This points to the fact that there has to be a greater David, the one who is the good shepherd the one who is leading his people home. If you turn to the New Testament, you will see where Jesus makes this claim in John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That is such a powerful claim to make. And even to further establish this claim, Jesus quotes exact David's word in Psalm 22, verse 1. It's on the cross, he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when you begin to look at the connection between Jesus' claim in the gospel and David's word in the psalm, it further establishes that the shepherd of Psalm 23 is Jesus. Because you will begin to see that the shepherd have to lay down his life for the sheep. And that is what Jesus did for us, isn't it? On the cross, he laid down his life for us and died the death that we deserve. This is the story of every believer here. This is your story. This is my story. And we know that God has only made himself known to us closely by giving him his son, Jesus. That's how we feel his closeness. So that when we set our eyes on the cross and see the fulfillment of the scriptures, for our sake, we can genuinely say we lack nothing. Because he is not like any other shepherd who would abandon their flocks. He is the good shepherd who would take care of his people. Do you know that we were like abandoned sheep until Jesus showed up? And he continues to care for us. In him, we have our satisfaction. Regardless of what life throws at us, we can look to the cross and say, I lack nothing. Because Jesus is enough for me. 
David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other translation, as we mentioned, it says, I lack nothing. Because the shepherd provides, he protects, he sustains, he brings hope in times of worry. The shepherd comforts in times of fear. When I am lost, when you are lost, he finds us. When I am lost, he finds me. The shepherd provides all the sheep needs to feel safe and protected in times of danger. This is the confidence David has in God. And I think it's worth mentioning that the kind of confidence that David has here should not be misinterpreted as saying that God has promised us a life of luxury because that's not true. And he has not promised us a life free of trials. Instead, this is what David is saying. In whatever danger I face or I find myself, I find you sufficient. God does not give us everything we want, but he sure knows what we need. And he has given it to us in the person of his son, Jesus. And just as David says, you can also say, because of what he has done, I lack nothing. In verse 2 to 4, David begins to say, this is how I feel his closeness. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside the still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness. For his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, O God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Friends, do you know that a sheep would mostly not lie down except it feels protected? We also know that a sheep will not lie down until they have eaten. They will not drink water from a moving stream. So the shepherd has to take them to where they would eat and drink and rest. Because whenever a sheep rests well and is restored, they are refreshed to continue their journey. And when we begin to unpack verse 2 to 4, uh, we begin to see what David means here. We see that there are four folds of blessing here. Why David confidently calls God his shepherd. The first one is, he makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside the still water. David experienced God's spiritual nourishment because just as the shepherd cares for the bodily nourishment of the sheep, so does God care for his people's nourishment. God feed his people with both physical and spiritual food. Just as he provides manna for his people in the wilderness, he also feeds us with his word. The second blessing we see is the restoration of his soul. To restore means to turn away from something, but it also means to turn towards something. To turn towards something, just like the sheep need to be restored when they are hungry, weak, lost, we also need to be restored. The effect of sin has caused us to be enemies of God. But the good news is that Jesus, the good shepherd, restores us to the Father. Friends, the cross is the only thing that makes restoration possible for you and I. 
And the third blessing we'll see is that the Lord leads him in the path of righteousness. Our mission is not yet complete. We are heading somewhere. We are on a journey, and it is only Jesus that can lead us there. The path of righteousness is the path that leads to the righteous one. Yes, just as the sheep needs to be guided through the, 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 the safe way, just as the Lord leads David in the path of righteousness, so shall Jesus lead us home. What a comforting statement. He leads us and walks with us. He is with us all the way. And in verse 3b, it says, it is all for his name's sake, for the glory of his name. You can have confidence in God. And when we look at the fourth blessing in verse 4, it is interesting that after speaking of a path of righteousness, he then introduced the idea of walking through the valley of death. The path that leads to death. A valley of shadow of death. This is a scary place for the sheep. This is a movement away from where there is sunlight or at least a ray of sunlight to where there is darkness. I think it's worth mentioning that sometimes the paths of righteousness may look dark and gloomy. It is not all rosy, as you would know. There are times when we cannot define what life is throwing at us, right? But just as the sheep trusts the shepherd and is comforted by his rod and staff, we can trust that God will protect us. The rod and the staff, they are, these are two elements carried by the shepherd as a tool to protect the flock. While the rod is used to fight off praying enemies of the sheep, the staff is used to restrain the sheep from wandering away. This is an imagery of God's grace to David. He protects, he defends, he guides his people. And just as the psalmist trusts God, we can also say we fear no evil because he is with us. He will not leave nor forsake us. What are some of the things that may look like a valley of darkness for you? Or the valley of the shadow of darkness to you? Is it the loss of loved ones? Is it cancer? Are you suffering from financial hardship and you do not know where your next meal or paycheck would come from, or even your rent? Are you going through trials in your faith? Are you being persecuted for professing your faith as a believer? Are you suffering from physical illness that the doctor has no answer to? Is it the effect of COVID? Is it the loss of job? Are there things that may be causing you to give into despair? What we see today is a beautiful representation of how God cares for his people. Not only does he care for our physical needs, he also cares for our spiritual needs. And he is also more than able to carry us through. We've seen how God, through his son, the righteous one, leads his people graciously through the righteous path. How he comforts us along the way. How he protects us and how he gives us rest and satisfies his people. He is walking with us as he leads us. He is walking with us as he leads us to the glorious day. He is the only one who can walk us through the valley of death. 
Why? Because he himself has conquered death. Psalm 46 verse 1 reminds us that God is our refuge and strength, a present help in times of trouble. And as we look at verse 5, the scene immediately changes from the shepherd to the, from the shepherd leading to a banquet hall where the host would lavish us with hospitality. And that's our second point. Jesus, the good shepherd, will protect his people. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Just as the sheep would have several wild cats scheming to take advantage of their weakness. And you would agree with me if there is anyone in the entire scripture with a lot of enemies, it is David. Both as a shepherd and as a king and as a warrior, he was always fighting off enemies. But we know that the imagery is not just about the enemies, right? Because our text says, in the presence of enemies, God prepares a table for him. Wherever there is an imagery of a prepared table, we know it's a symbol of a fellowship and communion with God. David says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies because ordinarily, feasting should not happen in the presence of enemies. It should happen in the presence of friends, right? But what David is saying, regardless of the enemies that surround me, you, O oh God, have shown me abundance. You have satisfied me. You give me the confidence to feel your comfort. You are hosting me. Why would I not have confidence in you? Why would you, church, not have confidence in God? Do you know that you are only able to enjoy fellowship and relationship and and feasting with God because of what Jesus has done for you? His cross makes fellowship possible. His cross makes communion possible. And nothing, nothing, can ever snatch us away from his hand because his watchful eyes is always on us. We read further and he says, he anoints my head with oil. So it's it said that sometimes, you know, when the fly lays an egg in the nostril of, of a sheep and it travels down its brain, it causes a lot of discomfort and it brings a lot of irritation to the sheep, right? So what the shepherd would do in those days is a particular oil to rub it on the head of the sheep to suit them and, and wean off the flies. Also, we see that for the Jewish culture, anointing of head has a lot of several connotations, right? It is used for official purpose, inauguration of kings, priests, uh, prophets, It is also used for ordinary purposes because it's a mark of respect paid by the host to his guest. Regardless of that, it also has its own spiritual connotation because in the Old Testament, we know that the king is promised under the anointed one. And as we read Isaiah 61, I would encourage you to read that later. But we see that in Luke, the New Testament, it also speaks of Jesus as the anointed one. Friends, because Jesus is a good shepherd and a gracious host, 
As believers, we also are recipients of his spirit because that's the seal of our confidence in him. Beyond the great privilege of being anointed by the host to enjoy fellowship and communion with him, in him we are also recipients of his spirit. This is nothing short of a personal relationship with God. Because of this, our journey through the path of righteousness is guaranteed. And we can praise God for that. That while we walk through the valley of death, we will not fear because he is with us. As a great and a gracious host that he is, he overfills our cup of salvation so much more that those around us can smell and experience God. You know, the beginning of our text says, I lack nothing. But here we are seeing that he overfills our cup. David knows that God is abounding in love. Because you cannot ordinarily give what you do not have, right? The shepherd fills our cup beyond abundance because he is abounding in love. He is abounding in grace. He is abounding in joy and hope. Because for every trials we face as we journey through the glorious day, there is an abounding and overflow of God from God that will carry us through. And holding on to this truth is the only reason the psalmist can make the declaration of verse 6, which is our last point. Jesus, the good shepherd, will take us home. Verse 6 says, Surely his goodness and his mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in his house forever. A better translation of the word mercy we see in that verse is loving kindness. While the word follow can be better translated as pursue, And this is what the psalmist is saying as you put those two together. He's saying, surely goodness and his loving kindness will continue to pursue us all the days of our life. I do not know what you're going through, but one thing that gives us confidence is that Jesus has paid the ultimate price. Right? He has paid the price for our sin. He didn't just die and leave us on our own. He will continue to pursue us until we are safely home. That is our confidence. The confidence the psalmist wants us to have here is to trust that the one who begins the good work will complete it. Our text begins with the word, the Lord, and it ends with the word, the Lord. You know that the death of Jesus on the cross is the beginning of a new life. And in him, we find our completion. And in between the beginning and the end, he is loving kindness we continue to pursue us because he will not leave us. Church, Jesus will not leave us. When everything else around you makes no sense, when All you could do is to sit in the corner of your house and pray and cry. It is his loving kindness that is pursuing you. 
when there is no medical solution to that health challenges you are facing. And all you can sit is in, it's in the corner of your house and pray and cry. His loving kindness will continue to pursue you. When you sin and you come to him in confession of sin, it is his loving kindness that is pursuing you. When a brother or a friend rebukes you of your sin, it is his loving kindness that is pursuing you. And we can rejoice in that. With everything else, we know that God will continue to pursue us. And here is the sweet part. He will not leave, he will not give up on you until he takes you home. He will walk with you as a friend and he will carry you when you are weak. That is how close he is to us. As we conclude, we'll see that there are several pointers here that makes us to see that we are actually on a journey. We are on a journey and he is the one leading us. And along the way, he will feed us. He will give us rest. When we are weak, he will refresh our soul. When we walk through the path of righteousness, he is leading us. When we have sin struggle and we walk through the path of the valley of death, he is leading us. We will not fear any evil because he is with us. He keeps us for the sake of his glory. He will comfort, he will guide, he will protect, he will carry, he will host us because of his loving kindness. And we will dwell in his house forever. And I'm very sure you know by now that we are not talking about a house made by hand. We are speaking of a place where God himself dwells. And that is our final destination. Let me close by asking us a question. Is your confidence in God? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross. Father, we are grateful because we, even as, look, as we look at this text, we see our weakness and our sin, and we come in saying, we have trusted in ourselves, believing that we can carry ourselves. Thank you for the cross. That reminds us that you will continue to pursue us until we are finally home. So we can trust in you. We pray that this will be true of us today, this week, forever. Amen.